His and Hers Horror features two adults discussing horror movies, serial killers, and other spooky content that may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You're listening to His and Hers Horror. My name is Tia. And I'm David. And we're deep in the holiday season, everyone. Indeed we are. On day of recording, it's the first day of Hanukkah. Mm -hmm. And it's also almost Christmas. Yes. Which means it's also almost Yule. Indeed. So I hope everyone's being safe and having a good holiday if you celebrate any kind of holiday right now. If you don't, I just hope you're still being safe because that's a thing. Yeah. And having a happy time. Exactly. How are you, David? I am having a happy time. Yay! Me too. You got me some really good cookies from the farmer's market. <gasps> Those cookies are so good. <laughs> I bought way more cookies than anything else at the farmer's market. <laughs> yeah. I, bought- I want to see this cookie farm so bad. I don't think it's an actual farm. I think it's just a dude who bakes. Well, dude who bakes needs to make a cookie farm stat. His name is Scott. Thank you, Scott. And uh, the macarons were made by Mackenzie. Thank you, Mackenzie. So, yay. Holy crap, that that coffee. It was a coffee caramel macaron that was oh amazing. Oh, gosh. It's probably one of the best macarons I've yeah. ever had. Oh, wait. That's good content for the, the other show we're going to do. Yeah, which will eventually. eventually start. We have art. Yes, we do have, we do have art. So I'll, I'll work on that. After the holidays, probably. Yeah. Anyway, let's talk about Christmas in relation to horror. Mmm. One of my favorite themes in horror. Well, because to some people, the the holiday season can be very scary. Yeah. Is it still true that the um, unaliving rates go up? I haven't looked at recent statistics, but uh, they really haven't changed much in the past 40 years. Yeah. I mean, the it, it's darker earlier. You know, there's a lot of... Seasonal affective disorder is definitely a thing. Yeah. And then just people who just regularly have depression. And then there's the stress of the holidays and everything else. Mm-hmm. And family stressors. And yeah, I would say it's probably there. So if you, if you need to talk to somebody, please. Yeah, you know. do that. Yes. And so in the past, for our, our Christmas episodes, we've done Black Christmas. Mm-hmm. We've done, um, I don't remember what else we've done. Did we do Silent Night, Deadly Night? I think we might have. <laughs> I don't remember. It's kind of hard to remember what... <laughs> Sometimes when you when you are a podcaster and you do a show every week, you kind of forget what you said. Yeah, yeah. And what you've already done. So there are times where I'm like, oh, let's do this movie. And I go through to search my notes. And I was like, oh, we already did it like two years ago. <laughs> well, and being a storyteller, sometimes I, I just have to preface almost every story with, I have I told you this yet? Because, yeah. you know. My answer is usually probably, but I, tell me again, I guess. Thanks. I have a bad memory on some about some Fair. things. I can see new reactions like every 14 months. Yeah. You'll get halfway through the story and I'll be like, oh, yeah, I have heard this before. Uh, But no, today we are going to be talking about Christmas horror comedies. Yes. And I will preface this by saying that one of these movies people may not necessarily consider a horror movie, but there are elements of it that really scared me as a kid watching this every year growing up. Both of these movies are, I've been watching basically my whole life. Mm -hmm. So, all right, let's get into it. 
So the first movie we are going to be discussing is 1984's Gremlins. Yes. Which is just such, it's such a classic and I love it, but I do have thoughts. <laughs> I, I do too. I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. So the basic plot, there's this kid, Billy, who lives in this small town in Pennsylvania. I say kid. He's probably like in his late teens, early 20s, because he doesn't go to school and he works at a bank. Yes. And for Christmas, his dad gets him this little adorable as fuck creature uh, called a mogwai that he names Gizmo. And there are certain rules that must be followed in the caring of Gizmo that do not get followed and chaos ensues. Yeah. That's the beginning of my questions. Yeah, we'll get there. Okay. Let me get through the the basics first, and then we'll... Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. So it's directed by Joe Dante. Yes. Screenplay by Chris Columbus. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cast, we have Zach Galligan as Billy Peltzer. Mm-hmm. He hasn't really done much else that I'm familiar with. This is kind of one of the bigger things that he's done. Gremlins 2, a new batch. Well, Gremlins 2. I'm outside of the oh, Gremlins Oh, outside franchise. of Gremlins. Well, well yeah. Uh, Phoebe Cates is Kate. She was Linda in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. She is actually married to Kevin Klein. Yeah. Uh, she retired from acting a while ago. Yeah. To focus on her family, which is commendable. Yeah. Uh, Hoyt Axton is Randall Peltzer. I need to deviate for just a second to talk about that because I was looking this up. I was trying to find other film stuff he'd done. Yes. And he has done other film stuff, but he was also like... A singer-songwriter in the American folk music scene. Really? It's it's honestly kind of amazing. I forgot to... Hang on a second. Give me the info. So this dude... So this is what he looked like when he was younger. So like he does in the movie, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah. So he is... Uh, he was an American singer-songwriter, guitarist, actor. Uh, established himself on the West Coast as a folk singer. Among his best-known songs include The Pusher by Steppenwolf. And Joy to the World. Like Jeremiah was a bullfrog? Yeah, Jeremiah was a bullfrog, Holy Joy to the World. shit. Yeah. He wrote Joy to the World, which is by three, which performed by Three Dog Night. Never Been to Spain, which was done by Elvis Presley. Okay. At one point, he also wrote songs for Joe Baez, Arlo Guthrie, John Denver, Nina Simone, Waylon Jennings, Glenn Campbell. He once sang a duet with uh, Linda Ronstadt. Really? Yeah. Huh. And he also did duets with uh, Tanya Tucker. Oh, wow. So it's just like really cool, I think. Like, this, I don't know. I just thought that was really interesting and neat. And I didn't know that until I started looking into this movie. I mean, heck, I thought I went down rabbit holes. I just found out last night that uh, Sean Astin is Patty Duke's son. And I feel like I knew that, but I didn't. I must not have remembered it. But, you know. Yeah. So next we have Frances Lee McCain as Lynn Peltzer. Mm-hmm. She was Lorraine's mom in Back to the Future. Okay. She was also Ethel in Footloose, mm-hmm. Kevin Bacon's character's mom. Yeah. Uh, Corey Feldman is Pete. He was, we've mentioned him before, Lost Boys, Goonies, a lot of stuff. Uh, Judge Reinhold is barely in this movie. He's, he plays Gerald. Every time I see this, I forgot Judge Reinhold was in it until I see him. I always think he's in more of this movie than he is, but he has maybe five minutes of screen time tops. Yeah. Uh, but he was Brad in Fast Times at Ridgemont High. He's Billy Rosewood in Beverly Hills Cop, which I mm-hmm. still have not seen. What? I have never seen Be- Beverly Hills Cop. We got to fix that. Okay. Like today. Let's fix it. Okay. Seriously. We'll see if we can do that here. Before I forget, let me look it up. Oh, hey, it's on Paramount Plus. Yeah. Which we have a subscription to. Cool. So, yes, we could watch We could watch Beverly Hills Cop today. <laughs> I just figure it's a touchstone that, that you need to understand. Okay. I could also watch it. 
later by myself, unless you really want to watch it with me. I don't mind. Okay. Dick Miller, we've mentioned before. Mm. He's uh, Murray Futterman. Yes, he is. Glenn Turman is Roy Hansen. He's Mayor Clarence Royce on The Wire. Okay. Uh, Kiyi Luke is Mr. Wing. He had acted quite a bit, like like from old Hollywood going on forward. Mm-hmm. He actually was in several, uh, if you're familiar with Charlie Chan. Yes. He was in several Charlie Chan pro- projects. He was Lee Chan in a couple of movies. There was also a, uh, a cartoon, I think in the 60s or 70s, called Charlie Chan and the Chan Clan, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Uh, he was the voice of Charlie Chan in that. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and then we have Howie Mandel as the voice of Gizmo. Which most people, I think, now will know, will know him as being a judge on America's uh, America's Got Talent. Yeah, he's also uh, Deal or No Deal. Um, bull- did he do Deal or No Deal? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, he also did Bullshit, which oh, is a, yeah. another show about lying. Yeah. Uh, and then Frank Welker is the voice of Stripe. Frank Welker is another one of those just like super prolific voice actors. He yeah. has easily over a thousand voice acting credits. This man has been the voice of Fred on Scooby-Doo. Hey, gang. Since its inception in 1969. Wow. And he's been the voice of Scooby since 2002. Yeah. It's just, if this, if you, it's, it's just boggling to me because if you were a child in the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010. You know, you've heard it. You've heard this man's voice. This man has been a part of your childhood. He's been a part of the childhoods of people for the past, you know, five plus decades. Holy shit. It's just, it's a mind boggling. Thank you, Mr. Welker. Yeah. So let's get into our thoughts on this movie. I'm trying to figure out where to start. Because again... I love this movie. It's a classic. It's, it is. It is great. But once you start to, once you start to ask questions, <laughs> it kind of falls apart. And they, the questions don't stop either. It's not no. like one question. Um, I can start us off. First of all, this opens like a neo noir. Yeah, there's like this weird like neo noir narrator thing that Billy's dad does at the very beginning and the very end. Yeah, he's like, my name's Rand Peltzer. I'm an inventor. Which is... And it's like, okay. But the first question I had to ask myself is when this this boy that he apparently has arranged to meet and go down some back alley to a, a shop where he first sees this this mogwai. Yeah. He says that this is exactly what, what he's been looking for. Oh my for. god, I know! How the fuck is this exactly what he's been looking for when If you before, didn't even know it existed! Like, nobody knows this thing exists. It's not in books, it's not in anything. The two people in the shop are the only two people that, that know, and now Rand Peltzer. Yeah, it's a Mogwai, not a Pomeranian. It's not a Furby, either. Also, let's be perfectly honest, the last thing Billy needed was another pet. He's already got a dog. Dog's already un- under constant threat. We'll get into that later. Which, I don't- I'm curious- why does Billy feel the need to take his dog to work? I don't know. It's not a service animal. And clearly his boss is not okay with it. But yeah. like, and his mom is home. So yeah. can the dog not just stay home with mom while you go to work? Like, why does the dog have to go with you? It's your dog. You said you you were going to take care of him. That means you have to take well, him to work. No. No, that's not how that works at all. No. I, I, I just, but then he's given these rules, right? And these rules okay. are kind of problematic. So let let me discuss the rules. 
And don't worry, we're not going to spend the whole time bitching. And I will have some other caveats and, and thoughts. <laughs> what? No, that's true. I Again, I adore this movie, but like, I, I just want clarification on some things. Right. So the first rule is keep them out of bright light. I get that. That makes sense. I don't like bright light. Right. Bright light, awful. Don't get them anywhere in it. Sunlight will kill them. Sunlight will kill them. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. That I get. That's how I feel when I'm in sunlight. Rule two is don't get them wet. And Billy's dad even says, don't give them water, not even to drink. Yeah. Which, okay, um, all living creatures need water to some sort of extent to live. Yeah. From, you know, from the biggest elephant to the smallest aphid, they all need water in some way, shape, or form. Thanks, Mufasa. Fuck off. (laughs) So I don't understand how they stay hydrated if they can't have water at all. And is it just water or is it all liquids? Because it doesn't seem to be all liquids. Right. Because later on, we see the gremlins drinking beer and whiskey And then later on, Billy's mom talks about how Gizmo looks like he might want some soup. And I'm just like, okay, so where do we draw the line? And also, if they can't get wet, why is walking around in the snow fine? Yeah. Because snow is frozen water. So, and and everything gives off residual heat, even, even just a little bit. So if you are, say, a gremlin and you're walking around barefoot in the snow, the snow is melting on your feet. So you should just be popping off extra gremlins fucking left and right, right? That would be the theory. I. That's where my confusion is. Right, exa- exactly. You can dump a bunch of beer on them and it'll be fine, but water is, like, even a single drop of water yep. spawns another one. Yep. So how is getting hit with a bunch of snowflakes not causing chaos? I don't understand. They're creatures of chaos. There should be millions of them, realistically. Oh, yeah. Not just enough to fill a single movie theater. That's still a lot, though. That's still a lot, but there should be way more. Agreed. So then we have the third rule, which is don't feed them after midnight, which is another rule that I have a problem with because that's a very vague statement. When after midnight can I feed them again? Yeah, like, is it sunrise? Is, is it, it sunrise? Do I have to, is it you can't feed them in the a.m. hours? You can only feed them afternoon, like between noon and midnight. You can feed them. And that's fine. Um, how does it work with time zones? Does, is it based on a particular time zone? Like, if you move, are you screwed? Or are you like, no, nope, right. we've got to just adjust to this time. So. Like, if I bought this Mogwai in New York and then I flew back to Missouri, like, midnight where? Midnight in New York or midnight in Missouri? Why well, would... Be cautious and just do midnight in New York. So 11, 11 p.m. In exactly. Missouri. But the the more the further you travel, the more confusing it gets. You know what right. I'm saying? Then you've got things like daylight savings time and all this other shit. Right. Exactly. So it just it kind of falls apart when you look at the rules. And, and here's my thing: even if you completely disregard the rules, let's just chalk the rules up to you know dominus ominous. It's magic. We're not going to question it. Right. The behavior of the humans in this film is fucking buck wild. <laughs> so let's, first of all, there's Mrs. Deagle. Yeah. Did I go past where you wanted to talk about the rules? Well, actually, there, there is there is one thing I want to throw in there. Okay. The only thing more confusing than the rules for me mm-hmm. is the font choice for the opening credits. Why? 
<laughs> it's just this like yellow with red lining, big typeface. I'm just like, this is your choice. Yeah. I mean, it's cho- worse. Yeah. I mean, a choice was made. I mean, it was attention getting, but I'm just like, it's legible at least. It is. I've seen some fonts used in, in opening credits where I'm like, I have no idea what the fuck that says. True. I just, I don't know. I just get confused with certain font choices sometimes. And that's just, I'm not trying to sound like I'm complaining about it. It's just, it's one of those things you look at and go, a decision was made here. Yeah, that's fair. Someone said, pick anything, pick whatever you like. And that's what they did. Pick something creepy. And they're like, okay, it's vaguely creepy. It looks to me like it's the opening credits for a Superman movie. Really? Huh. Red, yellow. Oh, I don't know. I just, the, the, the style of the font just reads creepy to me. Yeah. So let's talk about this bitch, Mrs. Deagle. <laughs> this woman is a fucking psychopath. She is the, like, there's there's a certain character that exists in, in some movies that they're created for you to hate them. Yes. And this is that character. Um, she's this older lady who, I guess, owns a bunch of property in town. And because it's the early 80s and fucking Reaganomics... A lot of people don't have jobs and are struggling and she does not give a fuck. No, not but, one of them. Not one. Not a single fuck. But that is not even that I at least can kind of like, yeah, there are people that are like that. It's the animal cruelty <laughs> that no one seems to give a shit about. Yeah. She shows up at the bank. She cuts in line to yell at Billy because her his dog supposedly broke her Bavarian snowman statue. Mm, yes. And then she starts like openly threatening to like violently kill his dog. Like you better help it gets to the pound because if I get a hold of it, she she she's like I'll kill him slowly. I'll put him in my in my clothes dryer. And I'm like, "Ma'am?" And like nobody says anything. This is a crowded bank full of people. One guy does say something. He goes, "Yeah, that'll do it." Yeah. I'm like, "Dude, what are you doing?" I I don't know. And sh- there's two different times where she just shows up at the bank, shoves her way shoves up her way to the front of the line, deposit this in my account. Oh, by the way, where's that dog of yours that I want to murder? I just want to <laughs> torture it slowly. Ah, it's like, lady. Well, and then I noticed something with her that I hadn't noticed before. Mm-hmm. So there is a scene later in the film where we show her at home. Yes. And she's got so many fucking cats. Mm-hmm. Like, I like cats. I love cats. Yeah. Dogs are great, but I'm definitely a cat person. Yes, you are. I never noticed before all of her cats are named after forms of currency. Really? Yeah, I never, because I never watched it with subtitles on before. Ah. So she has a cat on her lap that's called Kopek. Mm-hmm. And then there's another cat running around that's called Drachma, which Drachma was a coin that was used in Greece prior to uh, the euro being used. Right. And then she's got another cat called Dollar Bill. <laughs> I'm just like sitting here watching this movie and I'm like, did this bitch really name all of her cats after money? I don't know, but I know later in the film, I I was very confused about a line that she had when she sees the the gremlins caroling. Oh, I love it. They're after me. And yeah, bitch, it's karma. They've come for me, is what she says. Yeah. Not that they're after her. She, like, she's been expecting them. Like, yeah. she thinks demons have come up and, and, and are coming to collect her. Which they is, have. It's called karma, bitch. But, like, it's one thing to be like, ah, oh, what is this all about? But, like, she's like, I'm aware this is going to a likelihood that could happen. Yeah. 
she is fully aware that she apparently in that moment is fully aware that she's been a shitty person and that this is retribution. I don't know. Some people are just special. Yeah. I do also want to touch on like the, the, the mild racism. (laughs) Is it mild? I don't, I don't know where, I mean, it's not as bad as it could be, I guess it's, it's standard for an eighties movie. Mm. It's not, I think, I don't think it's meant to be like insidious. It's just the kind of standard stuff that was done at the time. Yeah. So the, the playing of a gong when Rand says dragon breath while he's in the, um, while he's in Mr. Wing's shop. Yeah. When he's introducing Gizmo to the family, he says it's called a mogwai. He's like, oh, it means something in Chinese, which Chinese isn't a language. Yeah. Uh, there are there are dialects. Mogwai is actually Cantonese. Right. It means uh, devil or monster. Yeah. And there's also a point later where uh, Mr. Wing has shown back up at the Peltzer place after and the climax of the film to get Gizmo back. Mm-hmm. And the subtitles say that Mr. Wing is speaking Mogwai to Gizmo. And I'm like, that's still just Cantonese, isn't it? It, it seemed to be. Like, I'm um, pretty sure. <laughs> like, I don't think Mogwai is not a language. He's speaking Cantonese, which I, I don't understand. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. And I, I'm not okay with it. I just use Phoebe Cates as my anchor and everything's okay. Yeah. And <laughs> I think we discovered something about you in these two this week's films. Yeah. Is that you definitely have a type. I do. How did you describe it? Um, is it brunettes with a heart of gold? Yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> if, if if I look at like actresses that I've gravitated towards, Christina Ricci, Catherine Bell, Phoebe Cates. Well, yeah, well, Phoebe Cates. Would you put Heather in the in that group too? No, no. Okay. I mean, sort of, but she's like on the fringe, kind of with. Yeah. Um, well, then, hi, your wife. You're more in the group. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would say Karen Allen is probably on on the fringe along with her uh, character in Scrooge. Yeah. Or just in general. Just in general. But yeah, Aubrey Plaza. She's more like. She's more quirky. Yeah. Which I love. I love her. Absolutely. One of my favorite parts of this movie is Billy's mom. Yes. So Billy, of course, his friend accidentally spills some water on Gizmo. Yeah. Fucking Pete. And... There's so initially five little additional mogwai spawn, but there's one that's basically the leader and has like a mohawk of, of white hair and they call him Stripe. Yep. And they kind of, what word am I looking for? They basically manipulate Billy into feeding them after midnight, which facilitates them transforming from mogwai into gremlins. Yes. Which gremlins are not cute. Mogwai are adorable. I fucking love Gizmo. Literally so much of this movie, at least in the beginning, it's just me sitting there going, oh my God, he's so cute. I just want to boop him on the snoot, like ever so lightly, just like boop, and listen to him saying, it's so fucking cute. He's like, so cute it hurts. It is. It's so like, there are very few creatures that are so cute that it almost makes me want to cry. Um, Eevees from Pokemon and and Mogwai are basically... (laughs) Are basically it. Um, the Kremlins, however, are like, they seem almost like reptilian. Yeah. Or like if you kind of, they're very shiny. Green scaled imps. Yeah. With sharp teeth and Very big ears. sharp teeth, huge ears, claws. 
Yeah. They also know how to use guns. Well, <laughs> that's... Okay, so something I noticed about the Mogwai and Gremlins yeah. is they're scarier than Ewoks. Because Ewoks can walk up to a piece of technology they've never seen, twiddle around with it a little bit and go, okay, I figured it out, let's go. Yeah. And I've got a note here about when Billy is with the little like Casio keyboard and, and he was trying to play Gizmo's song. Yes. And Gizmo corrects him and picks out the correct key. Now, either Gizmo's been playing for a while before he came to the Pelsers. It doesn't seem like it. Or he just recognizes this device and goes, no, it's this key. Like, he's got perfect pitch and he know- knows what this machine is. Because he's watched Billy try and... But, like, how They would he- learn extremely quickly. But that's with, like, every device. I mean, that's how that's how the, the other puffballs that came off Gizmo you know, learn to sabotage the clock because apparently they also know the rules for some reason. Yeah, it seems like they know the rules of their own existence. Without having been taught them. Uh, I mean, hey, it's possible. I'm just saying it's... Again, it's... if you Again, we're throwing out those arguments now as it's magic. Right, right, right. <laughs> it's magic. It's magic. I do also love when Mr. Wing shows up to pick up Gizmo and he's he's like, you taught him how to watch TV. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why not? <laughs> it's not like he's watching anything bad. He's watching like old Hollywood movies with like Clark Gable and stuff. Now, you mentioned Billy's mom and my first note about her. She's a fucking badass. I love her. First off, she's got the patience. People who use the term like patience of a saint. Saint's got nothing on her. Oh, because yeah. Because all of those inventions that, that Rand's made, none of them work right. None of them work correctly. But she just kind of rolls with it because she loves him, which... Is so sweet. <laughs> it, it is. And I'm not trying to be an asshole here, but why is she cutting up all of those onions with either a utility knife or what appears to be about the length of a steak knife? I don't know. It's a lot of onions. She's doing at least two large onions worth of onions. Now, I will say, when you and I first moved in together, yes. I cut onions. With a paring knife. Exactly. Because that is how I had always done it. Mm-hmm. So it's entirely possible that that's how she was taught to do it. And no one has ever shown her differently. Fair. That is fair. It's just a lot of extra work. It it is. And I thank you for showing me the correct way to chop onions. I mean, I'm not going to say that I, I like, I schooled you in onion cutting, but... No. Just kind of helped you get over your fear of using a larger knife to do the work faster. Yeah. Yeah, that's all. So yes, Lynn Peltzer is a fucking boss. Mm Mm-hmm. I love the way she just is kind of very carefully walking around her house when she realizes that the gremlins are there and she's got a she's got a knife that she initially is holding with like a pretty decent grip with the blade up Mm -hmm. but if you watch this when the second she picks up that tv tray to use it as a shield she switches the grip on the knife to a sun grip yeah exactly so it's a better actually it's actually it ends up being a better weapon yeah and then she fucking dual wields kitchen knives yep I just love her so much. And actually, if we take it back to her first encounter with the gremlin pods, Mm -hmm. as she comes up those stairs, there is a look about her that is so heavily evocative of Ellen Ripley. Yes. From Alien. Yeah. Like, she's just got this look on her face of this, like, well, this is a serious change. The cocoons do look like xenomorph eggs a little bit. Like, I I feel like there was a minor nod and a wink, but Mm -hmm. going, don't worry, these aren't going to be like xenomorphs or anything. Right, right. You know? Um, she shoves one in a microwave and another one she just stabs a shit ton one she'd like it's 
eating cookie dough out of her mixer. And so she turns the mixer on and it like shreds it the fuck to death. Well, and I mean, we should have been able to see all of this chaos coming the second that that water hit Gizmo. Like anyone in theaters then should have seen this coming. Yeah. Because anyone who's seen the December 29th, 1967 Star Trek season two, episode 15 classic, The Trouble with Tribbles, would no shit was going to hit the fan. We probably weren't expecting pods, though. Probably not. So I would like to touch on one more thing before we move on. Well, actually, two more things. Yes. Only one of them is plot related. Okay. Phoebe Cates and her weird dead dad story. Oh my god, that's my favorite story (laughs) in the world. (laughs) So earlier in the film, Kate and Billy are walking home. He's walking her to her house. And they they get into this offhand conversation where she ends up mentioning that she doesn't celebrate Christmas. And he's like, well, what are you, Hindu or something? Which, Which, that wasn't great then. No, it's still not great. Come on, Billy, open your mind a little. And she gets very defensive, which, yeah, exactly, as she should. Because she's correct. If you say you don't like, you're allowed to say you don't like any holiday other than Christmas at that period of time. Yeah, apparently. Yeah. So later on, when they're, when shit has hit the fan and they are in the bank Mm -hmm. for some reason, um, she's like, oh, this is why I hate Christmas. Bad shit always happens at Christmas. And then she starts telling this story about when she was a kid. I think she was probably like seven or eight. Yeah. She says, where it was Christmas Eve and her dad never came home from work. And then like a week later, she goes to light a fire and there's a smell. And it turns out what happened is her dad decided to dress as Santa and try and climb down the chimney with his armful of presents. And then she ends this story by saying, and that's how I learned there's no Santa Claus. I thought it was just a dead bird or a cat. Right. And I'm like. I love Gizmo's reaction, though, because his reaction, his eyes go huge and his ears just like completely flat down to his head. (laughs) He's just that is a what the fuck? This is the most fucked up thing I've ever heard. (laughs) Facial expression. I love it. I love it. But like also, no offense, Kate, but your dad's fucking stupid. No, there's no way he ran that idea past anybody. Why would he? It was supposed to be a surprise. Like, he didn't even run it by any of his friends, like, at work. Hmm. So, because if I was talking about this to um, my coworker, Dan, and he's like, well, that's kind of how got you how guys stop. He's like, guys stop each other from doing stupid shit. So if he had told one of his one of his buddies, mm-hmm. this is what I'm thinking about doing. At least one of them would have said, that's not a good idea. Hey, maybe not. <laughs> hey, don't do that. You could because he falls and breaks his fucking neck. Which, stuck of in the course chimney. he does. Yeah, because his arm is full of presents. Yeah. And also, what if he had come home in the fireplace? There had been a fire in the fireplace. Well, then he could have played it off by knocking on the door saying, ho, 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 I can't well, get down. But I, I just, I don't know. I mean, it was a sweet idea, and I just wanted to give Kate a hug because that's what Billy should have done. And instead, he's like just looking around for something. Like He's looking around for a phone to try and call for help. Like that's going to help. Hey, we've got this these things that no one else has ever seen before. Can you send help? I mean, the police don't believe them until people start dying. Yeah. So the last thing I want to touch on is the score. Mm, it's yes. It's so good. The gremlin rag. I didn't know that's what it was called, but I love it so much. Fucking Jerry. Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith. It's this score is it's menacing, but playful, it's which is great because that's kind of the whole thing with the gremlins. 
The score is sweet and spicy. You go, ooh, but then the only way to quell it is to eat another. Like every time the gremlin rag starts to come up against, I just, again, I'm just like, dun, 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 dun. I just start doing like a little dance, even just like in my chair. It's just so great. This is the first movie in forever. I actively watched the, the entire credits to get the full, the full piece. You added that song to a playlist. Too, I didn't did. You? Yeah. Two playlists because it's just, that's one of my jams. It's always been one of my jams. It's good. It's like mildly synthy, but like it works. Yeah. Oh God. I just love it so much. Play it, play it at your next holiday party. It's so good. The people who get it, those are the people you hang with. There'll be some people where like, there'll be a dawn of rec- like a, a flash in the eyes of recognition and they'll be like, ha. Nice. All right. Do you have any more thoughts on gremlins or are you ready to I move on? I do. All right. Cool. Um, okay. Uh, by the way, the first time that score, any flavor of that, that gremlins rag appears is actually when the science teacher, the first science teacher scene. Um, He's a bad scientist. He is. I'm getting to that. <laughs> Uh, when Billy goes to get food for the gremlins, why is there just a plate of chimkin just in the fridge? Yeah, like there's just, just a plate of chicken. Like just it's sitting not, there. it's it's not wrapped or in yeah, a container. Yeah, there's no or, saran wrap. There's no foil. It's not in Tupperware. I mean, you do you, but like that just seems like it's probably not the safest way to keep it. It's also all legs. Like yeah. it's all drumsticks. Yeah, there's like twenty drumsticks. Just on a plate. Just on a plate. Yeah, it's Just weird. Easy access, you know. So Mr. Hansen. Oh my god. The science teacher. I, I want to dive into this for just a bit. He's a middle school science teacher, with no, which no offense to middle school science teachers. But I feel like this dude should have admitted he was in over his head and maybe called some other people. Well, he's also got expensive taste. <laughs> oh, his Christmas list of asking for like... Because as the kids are departing, he's like, uh, he said, Hey, how about, how about one of you get me a tape deck or Super Bowl tickets? Or Rolls-Royce Corniche. All of those things are real. I mean, obvi. Well, yeah. So, he seems to have high-end tastes, especially since he was asking for a Rolls-Royce, so I decided to find the highest-end tape deck. Now, he didn't say portable, so the highest-end tape deck you could get for the time. And that would be the Nakamachi Dragon, developed by Nero Nakamachi with some support by Philips, which had a retail price of $1,850, or $5,300 in today's money. Wow. Now, Super Bowl 19 tickets. That was to see the Miami Dolphins face off against the San Francisco 49ers played at Stanford Stadium. The Dolphins? Yes. Damn. That was done at Stanford University. It was one of four times uh, the Super Bowl was played at a university rather than a league stadium. Yeah. Um, The tickets were $60 each. Okay. Fun fact, the 49ers trounced the Dolphins 38 to 16. Of course Um, they did. Now, he likely would have wanted a pair, so we're talking... $120. $120. Yeah. Now, that would be $344 in today's money. But for comparison, upcoming Super Bowl 62, the most inexpensive ticket packages start at $4,887.50. Jesus Christ. With premium packages starting at just over seven grand. Absolutely not. And finally, we've got the Rolls Royce Corniche. Original manufacturer's suggested retail price of $156,000 or. $447,000 in today's money. Uh, I think, other side I fun I think a Rolls is no longer considered like the the peak of luxury when it comes to automobiles. Well, I, I think part of the, the prestige of it is also the limited run mm-hmm. that they do of, of the vehicles. Uh, I did find one on Auto Trader for $65,000. Nice. 
Stripe calls water glub glub, and I find that absolutely adorable. I know the little the oh my god, some of the and how do all of the Gizmo gremlins calls Barney the dog woof woof? Yes, he does. <laughs> bye bye woof woof. Bye last bye, thing, woof, woof. last thing Gizmo says. But then this also goes back to this like preternatural knowledge of things. Yeah, all of the gremlins and later Gizmo all singing hi ho hi ho. It's off to work we go. Like, th- like this is their jam. It's like so it's cute. been on their. It it, it is. Even, it's weirdly adorable. <laughs> even these grotesque gremlins. One of them with sunglasses on. And, yeah. You know they're they're they've all got their own special personalities. They've and got whatnot. candy and popcorn that they Just call yum yum. Yum yum. Yes. It's. So, oh my god! I love when they're at the bar and there's one that's dancing like Jennifer Beals from Flashdance. That's yes. Awesome. Now I I will acknowledge that Stripe. Towards the end, having a gun, that's terrifying. You know, you got this creature with teeth and claws. Yeah, Daniel monster O'Brien's is already scary, it. yeah. But Billy leaving the gun in the fountain, that's even scarier. Come on, Billy. Yeah, back down doing? maintenance. The only other note I have, which I don't know if I can keep in or not, is... Uh, what's the shop owner's name? Mr. Wing. Mr. Wing. Says, I, uh, just like Uncle Roger. Yeah, there is a uh, comedian who has a... Um... Nigel Ng. Nigel, who has a uh, character called um, Uncle Roger. On YouTube and such. And he does a lot of his stuff. Stand is like up. He does stand up, but he also does like food reactions. Yeah. And so I uh, is uh, his. It's basically like an oh my God. Right. Yeah. So I, I just. It brings us to the modern era. Here we are. Yeah. Are you ready to move on? Yes, but that is such a good movie. It is. It's really good. Okay. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So now we are going to be talking about 1988's Scrooged. Yes. I have watched this movie every Christmas since I was a kid. And there are some, I, I, this is going to be the one where some people are going to say, oh, that's not, that's not a horror movie. The fuck it isn't. There are some parts where that are, they're (laughs) fucking terrifying, especially if you're like a kid. I saw both of these in theaters. I, I know I didn't see this one in theaters because I would have been three. But I couldn't tell you how old I was the first time I saw it. But I've definitely been watching it every Christmas easily for probably 30 years. This is the first time I ever watched it with you. Yeah, which, yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) So it's directed by Richard Donner. Mm -hmm. uh, Screenplay by Mitch Glazer and Michael O'Donohue. The cast, we have Bill Murray as Frank Cross. You all know who Bill Murray is, or at least you should. Yeah. Karen Allen is Claire Phillips. She Mm. is probably best known as Marion Ravenwood in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Indeed. Uh, Bobcat Goldthwait is Elliot Loudermilk. He was, um, did a lot of stand-up comedy back Mm. in the day. He's more now known as being uh, a director. He was also in the Police Academy films. Oh, I never, um, I haven't seen any Police Academy movies either. So... (laughs) I feel like I have to teach a a symposium on on the 80s. Just like you just like hung your head in shame. (laughs) I will make a list of essential 80s films. Okay. Now, some of it might not make sense because some of it, we're not going to start with the first movie. We're going to be like three. Okay. Because I Um, feel like Citizens on Patrol is really where it picks up. Okay. I have seen Animal House. Okay. So that one we can leave off the list. Okay. So then Robert Mitchum is Preston Rhinelander. Yes. He has been uh, kind of part of the horror genre off and on for a while. One of his better known roles is uh, Henry Powell in The Night of the Hunter, mm-hmm. 
which is a classic that I still need to see. Alfre Woodard is Grace Cooley. Most recently, she was thing. Uh, the biggest thing I think that she was in recently was um, she was Mariah Dillard and Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. But she's been acting for a long time. And she's yes. amazing. She's been in a lot of stuff. Uh, John Glover is Bryce Cummings. Oh, I mean, he, I mean, John Glover's fine, but yeah, Bryce is Bryce sorry, is a douche. It, 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 it evokes such this like immediate repulsion. He's that quintessential like that. 80s New York yuppie. They brought him in from L.A. That's, yeah. That's also why there was that kind of like, oh, you know, we're in New York, flew him in from L.A. Well, like, he he definitely is that, like, yuppie, like, douchebag. Wheatgrass and, and clean eating. And, Looks up to Gordon Gecko. Yeah. But he was actually Lionel Luther on Smallville, and he was also in uh, Shazam. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Forsyth is Lou Hayward. He was the voice of Charlie on Charlie's Angels. Really? Yeah. He was also the voice of Charlie in the two Charlie's Angels movies that have uh, Drew Barrymore in them. Okay. Yeah. David Johansson is the ghost of Christmas past. Hmm. We have mentioned him before. He was uh, Halston in the Cat from Hell segment for Tales from the Dark Side, the movie. Yes. He is also a musician, but he went by like a a stage name as a musician. Carol Kane is the ghost of Christmas present. I love her. She, the ghost of Christmas present, that segment is your and my mom's favorite part of this whole movie. Oh, it's so great. My mom loves Car- watching Carol Kane beat the shit out of Bill Murray. I do too. She thinks it's hilarious. But she was also Valerie in The Princess Bride. She mm-hmm. was on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. She's, again, another people- person that's in a lot of stuff. Right. Uh, John Murray is James Cross. Mm-hmm. Bill Murray, actually three of his brothers are in this movie. <laughs> wow. Uh, Wendy Malick is Wendy Cross. She was Nina on Just Shoot Me, if you remember that show. Yeah. And then Nicholas Phillips is Calvin Cooley. He didn't really do much acting outside of this, although he was one of the Jackson brothers in the uh, the Jackson's TV miniseries back in the day, the one that had Angela Bassett in it. Okay, yeah. Yeah. So this film, it's essentially a 80s retelling of the, the Charles Dickens Christmas Carol, only instead of it being, you know... Miserly, a miserly Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge, <laughs> yeah. who seems to be like a money lender or something. Um, it's a, you know, TV executive yeah. who is focused on, you know, ratings and making money and, and that kind of deal. Ooh, I've got something for that. So the first thing I want to get into is the cameos. Oh, my gosh. There are so many cameos in this movie. And I wanted to look through them. And I was curious... How many of these people are still even alive? Mm-hmm. So let's start with Lee Majors. Lee Majors is still alive. Yes. I was sure that he had passed away at some point, but apparently not. Um, Robert Goulet. I think he's passed. Passed away in 2007. Okay. Yeah, well, I, Miles Davis. I have no clue. Passed away in 91. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the next three are all still alive. It's uh, Paul Schaefer, Larry Carlton, and David Sanborn. Because when uh, Frank and his brother are walking past those street performers, yeah, those are all like major musicians. That's Miles Davis, Paul Schaefer, who used to be the pianist for um, Jay Leno, if I remember correctly. I believe so, yeah. Uh, and then Larry Carlton is a guitarist and David Sanborn is a sax player. Yeah. But then we have Buddy Hackett, yeah, uh, who passed away in 2003. And then Jamie Farr and Mary Lou Retton are both still alive. Uh, I miss Mary Lou. Well, she's alive. I mean, I just, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, okay. 
let me rephrase for clarity. I've always enjoyed watching gymnastics. And so Mary Lou Retton got me into it. And ever since then, gymnastics has just been kind of a thing. But there was just something about, oh, just the performance and the yeah the athleticism. And I mean, not even anything like weird or, or like it, it's not a kink. It's just using your body in a way like like your body is your instrument sort of sort of thing. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know how it, to describe it without you have a certain amount of having like a certain a amount of control over your your limbs. Right. To be able to perform like really cool like moves and twists and, and make, they're the only people I know that can make themselves fly. Yeah. So I also wanted to look at some of the references because this is one of those because of, because it's got Bill Murray in it. I'm sure he was allowed to do a certain amount of um, ad living. Ad living. Yeah, yeah. So there's some things where I'm like, I wonder how much of this would even make sense to anyone past my age. my well. <laughs> I was going to say anyone that is past the millennial generation that isn't also like into history. Fair. So West Berlin and the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at one point, he when he is visited by his dead former boss, Lou Hayward, mm-hmm. he says that it's he's a hallucination brought on by uh, stress and Russian vodka poisoned by Chernobyl. Yeah. Which I never really noticed that reference before, but this time when I watched it, I was like, huh. And now you're more familiar with Chernobyl and everything else, so you're like, oh, okay, maybe. He refers to an animal wrangler as Marlon Perkins. Yes, from Wild Kingdom. Which I was like, why does that name sound familiar? I always, well, I always change the channel whenever whenever (laughs) Wild Kingdom came on, because that meant cartoons were over. Oh, fair. There's at one point where he's at a fancy eatery. And he's hallucinating because it's when the first ghost is supposed to visit him. Yeah. And he sees, he sees a waiter that looks like the waiter is completely engulfed in flames. He's just serving a baked Alaska. He's just serving a baked Alaska. And, and then as he's walking, he's just walking away with some money. But Frank sees this guy on fire. So he takes a bucket of ice and water and throws it on him and then says, I'm sorry. I thought you were Richard Pryor. So first of all, he says this to a white guy. <laughs> But second oh. of all, I was like, that's not an okay joke to make. <laughs> I thought it was a little in poor taste. I, I don't think maybe it's okay to make fun of someone who accidentally set themselves on fire, regardless of why they accidentally set themselves on fire. Uh, okay. I, I mean, I'll give you that. But like, I mean, that was that was in the comedy zeitgeist at that time. Oh, yeah, at that I'm sure moment. it was. Yeah. You know, hey, anybody got a light? Where's Richard? You know, it was it was one of those things. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't know. And then Ginsu knives. Ginsu knives. Which yeah. I didn't really... They're still a thing. Yeah. You can still get them. I was... I, I get nostalgic whenever I see him make a tab in Stoli. Oh my gosh. Yes. Tab was a soft drink back in the olden times that I've actually I had. I brought it back. Did they bring briefly. it back? I, I thought they briefly brought tab back. I know one thing that you don't want brought back. Grace's fashion. Oh my god. No, both of these movies. Women's fashion. I texted my mom... And I said, like, women's fashions in the 80s were horrible. And she goes, yes, they were. Just, like, fucking shoulder pads, shoulder poofy, pads sleeves. poofy sleeves. There's this thing that I saw more in um, Scrooge where there's these women there. It's a top. The top clearly has shoulder pads, which I don't know why we decided women needed to have huge fucking shoulders at some point. I had jackets and stuff that had shoulder pads 
when I was growing up and I fucking hated them. Hated shoulder pads. Um, but like the jacket is really long, but then it's paired with like a really long skirt. So you just kind of end up looking like a five-year-old playing dress up in your mom's closet. <laughs> and I don't understand it because they do it with grace and then they do it. There's another girl at the um, um, Scrooge performance that they're felt that they're getting going to be broadcasting that night that has the same kind of deal where it's like a really long sweater and a really long skirt. And I don't know what the benefit of that look was. Fashion. No. Yeah, I get. No, I mean, like, what was because some fashion typically is meant to do something. There's there are tops and patterns that are meant to make you look like your torso is longer, make you look taller, make you look thinner. There's a point to them. These are designed to make you look like a bolt of fabric. Apparently. And then Alfre Woodard's hair. She just looks there's no style to it. It's just like poof, but like not like a styled poof. When would she have time? I don't... Frank, Frank, between her family and Frank, the only thing she doesn't get is any me time. I mean, everything is dedicated to other people. I mean, yeah. give her a break. Nell Cotter asks, give her a break. Okay, well, fine. I love that there's a subplot entirely surrounding Elliot Loudermilk's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Yeah. <laughs> okay, apparently Tab was discontinued in 2020. When do they bring it back? I don't think it ever went away fully. I'm also happy to see the Solid Gold dancers. Uh, the Solid Gold, Solid Gold, and Marilyn McCoo was a big part of my early childhood. Okay. So seeing Solid Gold dancers was nice. So apparently, Coca Cola never stopped making Tab. They just started making less of it and shifted it to other markets, probably. Right. Okay. And it's it's actually now it's been discontinued since 2002. So now they no longer make it. Oh, 2002. Oh, sorry, 2020 is what oh. I said. Think. Right digits, Look, different orders. Whatever. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> so as someone who's been in a few plays in my life. Yes. There's no way they would still be for a they how much money did he say they put into this? Forty million dollars? Something like that, yeah. There's no way they would still be building sets on the day. Well, here's the thing, that doesn't mean forty million went into the sets. I mean, they've got no. live simultaneous broadcasts set up between New York, Bethlehem, Helsinki, and West Berlin. But my point still stands. They wouldn't still be building. One would certainly hope not. Especially uh, you wouldn't still be working on finishing the sets while you're doing dress rehearsals. No. No, that's a that's something huge that, safety like, issue. That's something that may have been done like if you're scrambling, if you're like a small community theater. That's not something that a major network with there, millions of dollars at their disposal would be doing. I think there's an exception to that. Although, okay. I, I'm not going to necessarily say for rehearsal necessarily, but I know the folks that do SNL, the stuff that they do for their setups for sets, mm-hmm. if they're not repurposed, they're bespoke made. They're like, okay, here's the drawing. Let's make it now. Make it. Boom. You know. Right. And I get that. But that's a situation where it changes every week. This is something that they've been planning. It's one thing. Yeah, that they've been planning one live for, show, yeah. Right, that they've been planning for months. Right. I just think it's weird. Um, so, of course, because we're following the Christmas Carol, there's the you're going to be visited by ghosts thing. Ghost of Pris- Christmas present. Uh, ghost <laughs> of Christmas past is uh, like a taxi driver, which Absolute, I kind of love. Absolutely love him. And he takes him back to show him his parents and his dad is uh, like clearly not into Christmas and is very much like a serious, like working man type. 
Lovey just throws down a, he's like, Merry Christmas, and throws down a package. She's like, isn't it a choo-choo train? No, he's it's like, not a choo-choo no, train. No, it's five pounds of veal. Which, but damn, Daddy, thank I you. wanted a choo-choo. I'm like, <laughs> as an adult, I would love to get five pounds of veal for Christmas. Like. Are you kidding? I know I'm not supposed to have this reaction, but his dad's reaction is, Oh, everybody's saying, oh, this one wasn't what I wanted. I can't do this. You know, this, I this. I listen to excuses all day. If you want a choo-choo, go out and buy a choo-choo. And his wife is like, he's only four. But he's like, well, my back hurts. Well, my feet hurts. Well, I'm only, only four. four. <laughs> <laughs> the sooner he learns life isn't handed to you on a silver platter. It's like, yeah, but he's four. He can't do anything. Oh. But, <laughs> um... One of the other Christmas past things is uh, you see him meet Claire, mm-hmm. who is just so sweet and is one of those people who is very much about, like, helping others where you can. Yes. Uh, so their their breakup, he is at this point, he's been working at this television station for a couple of years. It's called IBC or whatever. Yeah. And he is the main character on this children's show called Frisbee the Dog. Yeah, he's Frisbee. And it's, it's Christmas Eve and the president of the network says, hey, why don't you and your your you know girlfriend come to dinner with me? And when Frank tells Claire about it, she's like, no, we're we have we're having dinner with friends. It's Christmas Eve. We've been planning this for a month. Yeah. Which I would reschedule that dinner. Yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like any of our friends that we're close enough to that we would be having dinner with them on Christmas Eve. If I called them and said, hey. The, you know, the CEO of David's company wants to have dinner and it could be really big for his career. They would understand and they'd be like, oh, yeah, totally go. Go to that. We'll we'll have dinner some other time. And so would I. I would understand that 100 percent. I feel like a complete asshole because I would you're holding your hand up like you'd even call. That would be a text. Yeah, I, you're handing your holding your hand up like that was a, a phone. That would be a text, in my opinion. Uh, that's fair. I mean, it'd be polite. You know to- what I mean, though? I would explain to them. Like, people are like, oh, no, it'd be polite to call. It's like, is it? Is it polite to call? All our friends are um, neurodivergent introverts. Yeah, you text. So. <laughs> you text or send a message. That's it. Yeah, pretty much. If you're calling, there's an emergency. Like, the world is on fire or something. Yeah. I do love, uh, as we mentioned previously, the ghost of Christmas present is your and my mom's favorite part of the movie. Yes. Although there is a part where she grabs him by the lip and is like moving his head around. Mm-hmm. She actually tore his frenulum. Wow. Carol Kane tore Bill That little, little connecty bit in the uh-huh. middle? Yeah, she tore it. Hmm. That sounds very painful. Yeah. That's also when this movie starts to get sad because we've got the death of Herman, who is this unhoused individual that Frank runs into at the shelter that Claire works at. Yeah. That's so sad. Hmm. So let's talk about the ghost. The ghost of Christmas future scared the shit out of me. Yes. No. Um, and Lou. Zombie Lou. Okay. Zombie Lou was kind of funny and I tried to tough myself through that. But the ghost of Christmas future, that was that was a bridge too far for me as a child. He op- Frank opens up his cape and there's like a rib cage and like fire and dead bodies yeah. that are screaming. I mean, that's like Nightmare on Elm Street 6. Yeah. I think. Wait, no. Um, it's the... Uh, Dream Child, was that five or six? I think it's five. Oh, yeah. Very similar, you know, with the little faces and mouths. Yes, that's six. Oh, it is six? Yeah. Okay. One of those two. Dream Child. Uh. Oh, no, it's five. I'm sorry. I miscounted. Look, I'm bad at math. That's my excuse, and I'm sticking to it. Fair. So, Dream Child. I'm just going to call it Dream Child. Whatever yeah. number that it's is. It's definitely Dream Child. 
Um, you know, it's reminiscent of that. Uh, plus, just that that TV face is what bothers me the most. It's not the skeletal arms, the extra large skeletal arms. It's the TV face. How it how it changes, and occasionally it's like a skeleton superimposed over Bill Murray's face. Yes, yes, and it's somewhat reflective, and it doesn't talk, and it's like say something. Yeah, the Lou Hayward, the the dusty corpse. And then, like, a mouse pushes a golf ball out through the back, through a hole in the back of his head. Yeah. It's just, uh, that really got to me when I was little. I mean, he, he is amusing. Like, at one point, Frank Frank's like, oh, okay, this isn't happening. He he unloads uh, a gun, and he's like, I don't mind if you shoot me. I don't mind if me. you shoot me, Frank, but be careful for the Bacardi. <laughs> in the Ghost of Christmas Future part, I love the extreme Dutch angles that are used. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why... Grace's child would be in an asylum, though. I have no idea. Well, because there's this whole there's a subplot with Grace where um, her youngest child, Calvin, doesn't does not speak. Uh, apparently, five years prior to the events of this movie, he saw his father killed in front of him, and he hasn't spoken since. And Frank's like, I didn't know that that happened. I didn't know Grace's husband died. Don't you remember when she wore black for a year? Uh, yeah, but I thought it was a fashion, fashion thing. thing. Everybody was wearing black. Because he's just that unobservant. He's he, he's very much a, at the beginning of the film and most of the way through it, is a, a very selfish individual. He only cares about himself. Like, he mildly cares for his brother, but like... It's it's more of like this pang of obligation that he's like, okay, fine, I'm going to send him something, you know. Right. Which, by the way, the box actually changed from the first time you see the box to the second time you see the box. Okay. Um, so I, I'm going off the first, which was a Pioneer VX90. It was just under $500 back in 88, but that was the last of the Betamax that Pioneer produced before VHS won the VHS Beta War. Oh, okay. Interesting. Beta was better, but VHS was cheaper. Yeah. So did you have any thoughts about the... Before we get to talk about the climax of this film, did you have any other thoughts? Before climax. Yes, before the climax. Lumpy was a cute nickname. Yes, because that's how the way that Claire and Frank meet is he's left uh, a Christmas party and is walking down the street and she opens the door and smacks him in the head. Yep. And so he falls, hits the back of his head on the sidewalk and she starts calling him Lumpy. Well, because then she drops some stuff in the process and they both bend down to pick pick stuff up and they smack each other's heads and it's like, oh. Yeah. So, yeah. he's That's kind of adorable. He makes some comments about Chinese food that are... Uh, also not also racist but the there seemed to be like a borderline i don't want to say an acceptable amount of racism because no amount of racism is acceptable (laughs) but there seemed to be like a you can go to this point but if you go further than that oh back in the 80s yeah back in the 80s oh yeah a lot of casual stuff that was written off as harmless that wasn't harmless at all yeah, um, there there was the using a gong noise to indicate anything even remotely Asian. Um, jokes about cats being put into Chinese food, which are jokes that are still being made today. I mean, definitely not in the States. No. I've heard stories of roof rabbit, but I haven't confirmed it. So I'm just going to call it a story. It's it's a rumor at the at best. And yeah. Until you know for sure, it's a rumor at best. And I'm not going to perpetuate it's a, it. It's a harmful one at that. Yeah, I'm not going to perpetuate it. No. I, yeah, it's weird. It's also a, like there seemed to be an acceptable level of sexism that was allowed. 
That was called the eighties. Yeah. Um, I mean, also the decades prior. Well, yeah. But definitely, I remember a lot in the eighties. Yeah. So, are you ready to talk about the finale? I think so. Okay. So the whole thing with this movie is there is Frank is in charge of this live performance of the, a Christmas Carol that is they're putting on on Christmas Eve. Yes. And he shows up at the at the screening, having been visited by the ghosts and realizing he's a piece of shit and needs to change. And uh, Elliot, the guy he had fired earlier in the day, he's like, you know what? I'm sorry. Well, wilder than that, because it's Bill Murray. But like, hey, I'm going to hire you back at twice your salary. We're going to get you a better office, but you're going to come help me do some shit. So he basically hijacks the broadcast. (laughs) With Elliot with a... Double barrel shotgun. Ellie's got a shotgun in the control room. Which has free South Africa stickers. Um, There's free South Africa stuff all over this movie. It's in the shelter, too. So, again, another touch point. Of uh, apartheid. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like, it gets you really dialed into what was going on in the world, which... Yeah. That reminds me, there's a video I need to show you. Okay, fair. So, he is... He basically hijacks it and starts making this grand speech about, like... I'm a bastard. I'm an asshole. I've been an asshole. I need to not do that anymore. Um, And about how we need to watch out for each other and treat our fellow man better. And you don't need to wait for Christmas to do that. You can do it all year round. If you see someone who needs help, you can help them. You don't have to wait for it to be December. Yeah. He's like, if you see someone cold... Go get one of your old blankets. Give it to them. Give it You're to not them. using yeah. it. Yeah. If you fine. see someone who's hungry, make them a sandwich. Like, just, you know, if there's someone you want to reconnect with, you can call them and it's fine. It's that time of year where you can do that. But, and it'll make you feel good. And and the more you do it, the more you get kind of addicted to it. Yeah. The more, the more good you put out into the world, you'll like that feeling and you'll want to do it more and more and more. Sorry. I always ball. <laughs> That caught me off guard. Yeah, David's never watched this movie before, so we had to pause the finale. Yes, I have. You've never watched this with me before. Right. That's what I meant to say. Okay. I'm sorry. I was like, no, I've seen this tons of times. Look, bitch, I'm struggling not to cry right this second. Okay. Okay. So we had to pause the finale for David to go take the casserole out of the oven, um, which is probably the most Midwest thing I've ever said on this podcast. Um, And he comes back and I'm like, crying and i've got tissues and he's like oh my god what happened i'm like it's the finale and he's just so confused i was like i always cry (laughs) at the finale of this movie i either start i usually start tearing up at some point during his speech but he finishes his speech and then calvin comes out and he's like hey did i forget something and calvin says god bless us everyone and that's when i'm sobbing his first words in five years. Sobbing. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then they start singing an Annie Lennox song and everyone's having a great time. Yeah. It's such a it's very rare that we have a movie that I would consider horror comedy that has a feel good ending. Yeah, because usually most horror comedies, if there is a happy ending, it's it's kind of like a bittersweet ending. Like Shaun of the Dead. Shaun of the Dead, I, I would say, has a bittersweet ending. Yeah. It, like Shaun's OK. Ed's a zombie. But they get to, you know, still hang out and play, out video, and play games. video games in the shed. Just be careful. Yeah. You know? Ugh. I will watch this movie every year. It's so... I... I don't know. It's one of the ones that is on my... Most people, I feel like... Well, I, I shouldn't say most people. I don't know. Because 
I've learned recently that not everybody watches movies over and over again the way I do. But there are certain movies that I will watch during this holiday season every year just because I'm nostalgic for them. Mm. Uh, And this is one of them. Another one is Die Hard. Which Bruce Willis apparently at one point did an interview and was asked if Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And he said no. But Reginald Bell Johnson says it is. So I'm going to listen to Officer Al Powell. Thank you very much. I shot a kid. He shot a kid. Oh, I need to watch that movie this week. I haven't watched it yet. But yeah, it's just such a good movie. It's very sweet. It also has a very good score. It's uh, Danny Elfman. And it's one of those things where if you've listened to Danny Elfman's stuff before, you can kind of, he has, it has some of his same um, motifs. Uh, There's one motif in particular that's very evocative of, of The Simpsons. But that's not to say that he reuses a lot of stuff because Danny Elfman, his goal is to make sure that none of his scores sound the same. Right. There are a lot of composers that they have like, there's maybe like a little flourish that they do Mm -hmm. in a lot of their stuff. Or there's a particular instrument that they love. John Williams loves horns. Danny Elfman tends to go more towards woodwinds. Mm Mm-hmm. Woodwinds. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Saxophone a little bit. Yeah. John Carpenter's stuff tends to be kind of synthy. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I love this movie. I love both these movies. I think these are great additions to your holiday classics with a bit of mischief, a bit of naughtiness. And I think they're both good ways to kind of ease someone that isn't necessarily into horror into horror. Well, and the fun thing, I forgot to mention this. We were talking about Gremlins. Gremlins is actually one of the two movies that led to the creation of the PG-13 rating. Really? Because it was rated PG, and it was... Um, it was that in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, right? I believe so. That okay. actually caused Spielberg to petition the MPAA to create a rating in between PG and R. Yeah, because they didn't want to necessarily restrict something you know, with the restricted rating. Right. Because of just a little bit of something, and they're like, right. Eh. It was the violence that was considered, okay, well, this is... This is not enough violence to, for it to be considered R, but it's too much for what we would consider acceptable for like a PG age range. We right. need something else. That removal of the heart while it's still beating is kind of intense. And I would say some of the some of the violence in, in uh, Gremlins is a little scary. Yeah. Although interestingly, growing up, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is the only Indiana Jones movie where there wasn't a part where I needed to cover my eyes. Raiders of the Lost Ark and... Um, Everyone Last Crusade. Has to, everyone has to cover their eyes for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Don't, don't look mel- at it. Otherwise you get melted. Exactly. So I think that's going to do it for us for this week. Yeah. I hope, again, as I said at the beginning, I hope everyone's having a great holiday season. If you are celebrating Hanukkah, happy Hanukkah. Yeah. I hope it's I hope it's great for you. Um, Merry Christmas. Blessed Yule. Happy Kwanzaa. All of the things. I'm yes. sure there's many I'm forgetting. Probably. But Yeah. We are open to everybody. Yeah. We are loving and accepting. Of course. As always, you can find us via our social. uh, We're on Twitter. Mm -hmm. We also have our website, h2horrorcast.com. There is a link there to our Patreon. We are patreon.com slash h2horrorcast. You can support us for as little as a dollar a month. That dollar goes towards uh, upgrading equipment, which we might need to do because it seems like there might be a short in one of our cables. (laughs) Because it keeps stopping, stopping in yeah, the middle, which is terrifying when you're recording a show. And uh, you can also send us emails at our email address, h2horrorcast at gmail.com. Yeah. And rate, us, rate and review us on places where that is a thing. Yeah. Suggest us to a friend, too. 
Yeah, I think. Hang on. We have one more episode before the end of 2022. Yes. It's our, our New Year's special. Mmm, that's going to be fun. New Year, New You. Or New Year, Same You, if you're fine with the way that you are. Yeah. <laughs> I don't you, know. You be you, Lash LaRue. I don't know. I haven't had nearly enough coffee today. Same. I'm going to fix that. All right. Until next time, I'm Tia. And I'm still David. And stay spooky, friends. Bye. Music for this episode is Save Us Now by Shane Ivers. Our artwork is by Catherine Nixon. <laughs>